0: George Affleck in for Jill Bennett today Uh, and it's Canada Day but uh, I think people are not supposed to be working but it seems like everybody's working today because it's a crazy day in so many different ways and one person working hard today is Keith Baldry and he is joining me now for a second go today because there's so much going on Uh, and he's joining me for his BC's Legislative Bureau for Global. Hi Keith. Hey, George. So let's start with, uh, you know, the fires. This is uh, what's going on in Lytton, what you know so far, what you know what's going on. Let's talk about that first.
1: Yeah, so we, well, there's nothing really um, determined factually because no one has been able to get into that place. Mm -hmm. The local MP has said 90% of the village has been destroyed. Um, But again, even the RCMP haven't been able to access the scene because it's actually so hot and still very problematic and dangerous. Uh, part of the problem they're doing right now is uh, a head count to see who is there and who's missing, and they haven't completed that either. Um, there are also other wildfires starting to take shape. Mm-hmm. Two interface fires outside of Kamloops, Sparks Lake, and McKay Creek, I think, and one outside 100 Mile House. So we're at the beginning of the wildfire mm-hmm. season. It's been very quiet for the last couple of years, and it seems that's about to change big time. We could be going back to what we saw, you know, just a few Smoke years ago. Soul. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, a long hot summer. And yeah. at one o'clock today, Premier John Horgan and Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth will be holding a suddenly scheduled news conference to bring everyone up to date from what they know.
0: The footage that we've received here and the stuff we've seen on Twitter up there in Lytton, it's been you know harrowing. The, the, kind, of, it's the kind of stuff we were seeing in California and in mm-hmm. Australia, where people were literally literally trapped. Uh, yeah. Because if you know the area, there's only one. You know, you go one way or you go the other way. You can't really. There's not a lot yeah. of directions you can go.
1: And, and there's a lot of communities that fall into that that situation around mm-hmm. B.C., which is why uh, fire officials, I think, are very nervous as they watch what's about to unfold this summer. You've got a, this combination of this heat wave, which is just extraordinary. It's dried out so many places. It's uh, giant tinderboxes. I just talked to Mike Farmer, who tells me that um, the only bit of good news is that there's been some precipitation in the north, and that's, uh, that's dampened things up there. Mm. So that takes a big chunk of the province out of the, the danger zone. But it's still, the, the southern interior remains a source of serious concern.
0: And we're getting uh, you know, thunder, lightning, and, and, and those are real problematic. And this fire apparently may have started from a spark. We don't know, but that's what we're hearing. Uh, but, well, of course, we're seeing weather conditions also change down here.
1: Yeah, and, and lightning is a very common cause of, of, of wildfires. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's the dominant cause. And, you know, you go back to uh, uh, 2018, I looked up some stats when we had uh, almost one and a half million hectares consumed. Lightning was responsible for 70% of the fires. So uh, man-made is, uh, is a problem as well. It's sometimes a 50-50 split, but lightning is a very common cause of uh, fires, and they do come with those thunderstorms. and exacerbate uh, what's already a serious situation.
0: And when you have your MP saying that 90% of the town, mm-hmm. if anybody's ever driven through that town, it's not much, it's a very small town. Um, yeah, it's only th-
1: 250, 300 residents or yeah. so. Uh, everyone's evacuated. Um, we don't know yet exactly the fate of everyone, and that's uh-huh. why that's, that's part of the delay right now of getting some hard information. Uh, it's proving elusive because uh, literally you can't go in to check things out and haven't been able to contact every single person listed as a resident there.
0: So there could be deaths and that's to uh, Letting journalists, there could, in but there. we haven't
1: got that confirmed quite yet.
0: No, that's that's very concerning. The um, the cost. This is always one of those uh, unknown line items in a in a province's mm-hmm. budget. They budget a little bit of money for this, but it, uh, if this kind of stuff happens, you know, what kind of what kind of money are we talking about if it fire seasons like it was in two thousand you know, a couple of years ago?
1: Yeah, so basically, the firefighting costs are what they are. Whatever it takes to fight fires, the money's Mm going to be spent. So the budget, to call it a budget, it it really isn't accurate, but your point about bad years you go back to uh 2017 we spent almost 650 million dollars mm-hmm. uh, we only spent 194 million in 2020 182 million in 2019 but you know, it can easily exceed a half billion, as it did for two consecutive years in 2017 and 2018 of course that was never budgeted for mm-hmm. um you know usually it's a it's sometimes a 10-year rolling average is put into the budget which right now is about 265 million dollars uh, mm. but often like i say the last two years came well under that uh, right but is it, is it under budget is just that's what it costs to fight fires and it's not as if we hit a certain number of dollars spent and say well we're not going to fight any more fires this season it's,
0: no, <laughs> it's one of those years where you think can we just not spend any more money yeah. with, with covid it's being like uh, you know just rolling out the cash every day well and, you
1: know uh, we the government has got a billion dollar contingency fund and it's, it could very well be that floods there's also some serious flooding yeah. occurring in the caribou
0: fast melting stuff right uh, yeah, yeah. the The
1: freshet and such, uh, combined with uh, a bad fire season, could conceivably consume that entire contingency fund.
0: It's interesting. I saw somebody tweet about uh, fires and heat waves and things like that, saying, you know, we we have these, we name, uh, you know, uh, other kinds of storms. Why don't we name heat waves and give them names to really give them an identity? Yeah, like hurricanes. And we give them an identity because they're happening so often everywhere now that they need to have an identity so people understand that this is another one
1: yeah there's one right right now from Baja the Baja Peninsula all the way up to the Alaska Panhandle is, the entire um, west coast of North America is basically un, under a heat wave mm-hmm. under a giant red infrared <laughs> look on the map it 's just all red yeah and it's so you're going to see bad wildfires in California this year in oregon washington state b c and southern alaska and, it, and and baja mexico it's uh, it's going to be it's shaping up to be arguably what could be the worst season of all time
0: so before the wildfires happened and the heat wave we were all looking forward to july 1st being the first day of uh, step three of Mm -hmm. uh, exiting the pandemic uh, nightmare that we've been in and it seems it's like oh that's old news like that's not even happening (laughs) but it is day one of stage three right
1: It is, and so um, all sorts of restrictions have been eased. You can have an unlimited number of people over at your house, indoors and outdoors. You can gather uh, at events indoors with uh, 50 people or 50% of the capacity, which is ever greater. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, outdoor events, uh, again, 5,000 people or 50% capacity. So this translates, you know, look at BC Place. You can now get 50% capacity into BC Place for a BC Lions game. And considering some Lions season, they'd probably be happy with 50%. <laughs> Ouch. Um, and in terms of uh, you can travel, now invited to travel around the the country, uh, casinos are going to open, albeit with safety plans. You mm-hmm. know, every second slot machine probably roped off or something. Mm-hmm. And lots of plexiglass will remain. And uh, bingo halls, banquet halls are all going to open up. And, and restaurants now, you can have a num- any number of people around a table, whatever the operator wants, but you can't table hop You can't go from table to table. You've got to stick at your own table. So there's still some little restrictions in place, but it's not completely open, as it will in September, if everything goes according to plan. And, of course, the other big one, which affects everyone, mask wearing is still strongly recommended Mm -hmm. if you're not double-dose vaccinated or if you're around people who are not fully vaccinated and in certain tight quarters. But the the penalty that went with not wearing a mask is now gone. Uh, And it'll be interesting, George, how this is... Goes uh, is interpreted by d- individual businesses because individual mm-hmm. businesses can set the rules to how, how you shop in your store. We've all seen the no shirt, no shoes, no service <laughs> signs. <laughs> yeah. do, do business <laughs> orders, mask. owners add no mask to that uh, sign? And will people will that cause any type of confrontations as we saw at the very beginning of the pandemic when there were confrontations over mask wearing?
0: That's, I know When I went to the store last night, you know, you, I just can't imagine for the least foreseeable future going into a grocery store at least and taking my mask off. It just seems like... No. Natural thing. You pull it out of your pocket. You shove it on your face. You walk in. Um, yep. So I think for at least till September. Do you think that there's? I mean, there are people who are going. Oh well, you know the other variant. Oh, watch out, it's coming. You're going to get hit by it. It's going to. You're going to see what happened in England and Denmark and all these places. Um, do you sense that that's a concern or from from the t- you know Bonnie Henry and all those people that are they pretty confident that we're on the right track?
1: Yeah, I've had lengthy conversations with Dr. Henry and, and Minister Dix about this. They are confident that one of the steps, and I wrote a column about this last week, one of the things BC did early on in the pandemic, remember Dr. Bonnie Henry made that controversial decision of the time to extend the interval between the first and second mm-hmm. dose of the vaccine. And that was on the, the argument by Dr. Danuna Skoransky from the Center for Disease Control. She was the first one to hit upon right. the realization the first dose is so effective and so last long and we can stretch it out. By doing that, we got so many more people immunized earlier and that included mm-hmm. The age group that gets COVID-19 the most, that's the 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds, are now at excess of 70% vaccinated. That was not the case in the United Kingdom or other jurisdictions where the Delta variant uh, is, is the dominant variant and it's affecting that same age group. Disproportionately, which is why it's, it's still alive in such greater numbers, because it's feeding on so many people who are not vaccinated, unlike B.C., which mm-hmm. we really got the dose in the arms of people who were likely to get the Delta variant the most. And so far, we're, we're seeing, you know, a drop in cases, not an increase.
0: I, and I didn't see that, uh, uh, the kind of the 20-year-olds talking the same way here in B.C. as I've seen in other places where... The sort of you know cocky, ah, oh, I don't need the vaccine. Uh, they seem like I know my kids are in their twenties, two of my kids, and they're like totally they were excited about it. And, and it well, it's,
1: it's really... interesting. I did a piece last night on global showing, uh, was talking to Minister Dix about this. We're looking at the tables of the population tables, and the eighteen to twenty four year uh, age group is actually the the most enthusiastic uh-huh. age group of yeah. people under forty to get the vaccine. They've got the most bookings, the most appointments, and it's the people in their thirties who are slowed oh. down in getting the vaccine. People People in their 20s are now getting vaccinated at a greater rate, slightly greater, it's not huge, but slightly greater than people in their 30s, perhaps mindful that they are the most vulnerable age group of mm-hmm. getting the COVID-19 virus.
0: George Affleck here uh, for Jill Bennett today uh, as your host, uh, we've got, it's Canada Day, but it's so much going on right now, uh, but it's easy also to forget with all these other things going on that the prime minister shaved off his beard this week. Uh, this is this more is it was this is this more than just a fashion statement? Do you think? Joining me now is David Monscrub to uncover this. He's a columnist for McLean's and Washington Post. Hi, David.
2: And rising facial hair. <laughs> subject matter expert.
0: I think we all are during the pandemic. Most of us have longer mm-hmm. hair and heavier beards, So for the men anyways, I guess. Uh, so d- tell me, you know, I know you're not a fashion colonist, but uh, facial hair actually is, <laughs> often, uh, is often a political no-no, I, I, from what I understand. Unless you're one of the last leaders of the NDP, they seem to have, you know, facial hair seems to be a common with the NDP. But generally, in politics, you know, facial hair is a bad thing, isn't it? <sighs>
2: I mean, I think it's a great thing, but, uh, you know, we don't typically, you know, there, when, when the, the beard popped onto the scene, there were columns and stories about it because yeah. it was unusual. I mean, it, it was unusual for a world leader to have facial hair. It, I mean, it speaks to something more substantive, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we yes. joke about it. And it's I funny I so. and, and But it, is, it does say something about how we conceive of and construct the idea of a leader. Right, mm-hmm. and it's often yes. portrays our misogyny. It also it, mm-hmm. it portrays often, uh, you know, uh, 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 anti race, um, anti uh, sorry, effectively white supremacy because mm-hmm. the conception of a leader we have is a, a white male who doesn't have a beard. Right, that's yeah, probably kind of tall. You know, and uh, and so it's fascinating to to sort of see this play out because it does speak to something more Mm -hmm. more general. Of course, it does also lead us down the primrose path to election speculation as well, because it happens to coincide not just with the sort of waning of the pandemic. But
0: uh, election fever. Well, it it does. And just before we get to that, though, when he grew it, though, uh, and I don't want to be completely, you know, it's it's not shallow conversation because I actually think for him, it was strategic. I mean, I think he kind of did it by accident or he had a holiday beard. He came back and then the pandemic hit and then he had this beard and he thought, well, this is serious times. I want to be more serious. And I think there is a. You know, you look at Trudeau and it's very uh, uh, literally manicured sometimes uh, leadership that he has where he's really trying to create personas and a personality. And he's very effective at that. Even you go back to when he did a speech when his dad died, it was a very effective, you know, very successful speech. Everything he does, it seems to be, while sometimes a bit crazy uh, in the way in the past, especially boxing matches, he always seems to have something going on. And there's, I think, something going on in his head as far as strategy. Is that that crazy of me to think that?
2: I don't think so at all. He's a very carefully managed politician. He is Canada's brushed aluminum prime minister. And I think there are real substantive critiques to be made of that sort of polished image because Mm -hmm. it tends to let him and his party get away with things that other politicians probably can't get away with. Mm -hmm. And it also speaks, by the way, to the standards we have of conceiving a leader. So actually, Mm -hmm. I think that's absolutely fair game. It's incidentally of note that his father, Pierre Trudeau, uh, after he lost the 79 election, grew a beard as well. And he came back from, I think it was paddling the, the Nahani mm-hmm, after right. losing the election. And Jim Coots said to him, I think it was Coots, uh, you know, if you want to leave, keep the beard. But if you want to, if you think you might want to stay, you better get rid of it. Interesting. <laughs> so it's not, wow. you know, so there might be a bit of a of, <laughs> of history there. I'm recalling this from from a book I read years ago, but yeah, yeah. but it's it's of note and and perhaps it's a it's a family tradition of a sort.
0: Okay, so, you no, know, it's an interesting. I mean, I'm, I guarantee you, Trudeau Jr. was going. Hmm, my dad did this. The beard thing worked. It was all this. Um, so, in all seriousness, though, uh, election time is it coming? Are we going to have an election soon?
2: I'm banking on it. Uh, you know, we always speculate about this stuff, and journalists speculate it and blah blah blah. But it gets real when people mm-hmm. start to have to plan their vacations. <laughs> then they got to put their behinds on the line. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. You know, because do they book for July? Do they book for August? You know, some of the journalists I'm talking to and seeing folks saying I'm t- an activist and NGO folks are like, I'm going to take July off. I want to be ready for August <laughs> or late August, and the second week and later. So I, I do think it's coming. I, I, and actually, you know, there's a lot of debate about is this going to be a pension thing? Are they going to wait? My gut says they're not going to wait, that they're not going to let the pension thing sway the decision. So that's
0: by that. You mean the years in service provides a better pension for them?
2: Yeah, well, so you've got to qualify for a pension as an MP. Yeah, yeah it's six years, and and right. so a lot of folks will be up in October of, of twenty twenty-one. Yes, that's not the most but, cynical yeah. thing I've ever heard. That's really it's also a bad system. We should prorate. That shouldn't be a consideration at all, and yet sadly it is. But I, yeah. I would I would bet on August for the writs to be issued if I if I had to go all in.
0: So election in October then, or late September.
2: It depends how long they decide to go it. Uh, you know, I, I last time, remember a couple of years ago, 2015, that mm-hmm. 11-week monstrosity May it never happen again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was awful. The Le- 2019 was about six weeks. I would expect another six-week period, which would be, just about enough, I think, for most of us, maybe too much. For
0: well, you've obviously, I was involved in municipal politics. Those elections
2: go on for years. Oh, <laughs> so I can't seems... even imagine. Imagine being in the United States where it just literally never happened. Oh, ends. yeah,
0: that's even worse. <laughs> so uh, the recent polls are pretty good for the Liberals, uh, and the Conservatives not so good, and we'll get into the Green Party in a bit, but uh, looking pretty good. So there's a, there's the polling shows that it's probably a good idea as well.
2: Oh, well, it's definitely a good idea. You know, the funny thing is we have a fixed election date, but nobody really cares. <laughs> Just yeah. do Especially with a minority parliament, where if a government can engineer a, a shot at a majority, they'll absolutely take it. And let's be honest, any party in that position would. It is the strategically correct move, even though it's mm-hmm. an unnecessary election for most of us. I, I don't think we need it. But it's, it's the right move for the liberals, probably. They're in good shape. Uh, the opposition is mostly in bad shape, yeah. different degrees of bad shape, but in generally not, not you know flourishing. They've tried. It, the conservatives have
0: tried to create some kind of persona and some care. You know, they try to be funny uh, yeah. and they've tried to. They, they shouldn't try to be funny. They shouldn't
2: do funny. It's, you can, it's, 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 like, say, it's like
0: when somebody says, make a viral video. You're like, oh, for God's sake. Like, <laughs> it's like, how do you do that? You, that's not how, you don't create those things. They're actually the bad news if it goes viral quite often. So Super uh,
2: politicians.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the Green Party, now what is going on there? They're imploding. There, there, I've heard there was a story yesterday saying there's rumors of uh, staff being laid off in their headquarters. This is not what you should be doing right before an election, especially talking about lo- losing your leader in July. I mean, that is what is going on.
2: I don't I don't know. I mean, the state of the I, I, it's hard to say, you know, the fact was there was an incident uh, involving a former Advisor who right. publicly critiqued his sitting MP, but the fact that that has been able to spiral and has become a, a meltdown speaks to the, the, the health of the party, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if one incident like that puts your party into a state of disarray for months ahead of an election, it's, it's a bad scene. Mm-hmm. And I, if I were the Greens, I would be quite frankly worried about losing my caucus entirely. Mm-hmm. They're certainly not going into 2021 looking to grow if they know what they're doing. They're they're looking to protect the uh, to protect the the MPs they have, and it's it's going to be quite tough for them, especially if the Liberals surge, which they might. And it's again of note of historical parallels. You know, Pierre Trudeau rode in on a wave of popularity in '68, was reduced to a minority by '72, was back with a majority by '74. And it off, it looks like Justin Trudeau is going to do the same thing, and that movement harms other smaller parties quite a bit, and, and I suspect the Greens will be one of them at this rate.
0: Yeah I there a chance that Elizabeth May will come back as leader in July that they'll something, give her you know that they'll give Anna Marie the, the, the 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 boot and, and uh, bring back the previous leader? Is that something that's maybe happening behind the scenes?
2: I wonder if the Green Party folks read their ancient history and know of Cincinnatus, you know the reluctant? Mm return, I have absolutely no idea. Mm -hmm. Quite frankly, I don't know what that party is about anymore. I don't know what they want. But one of their challenges will be defining themselves and defining themselves in a way that is different from the NDP. I mean, this is a real question of Mm -hmm. what's the point of the Greens. Mm -hmm. And now I do think there's a point. I think there should be an eco-socialist party, but they seem to try to have it a bunch of different ways, which ultimately leads you into a corner because there are already parties who are doing that and who are doing it better. Mm -hmm. So what's your niche? Like what's the value add here? I don't, I frankly, I don't get it other than being not the, NDP yeah. and the Liberals, which isn't
0: enough. Yeah, and the Green brand is valuable, but it doesn't give you enough to win elections here. And yeah, have focusing on key key issues is always helpful. And I think the BC Green Party is facing the same challenge here, uh, which has had you know success, but not uh, enough to really. And they you know in the last election sort of went backwards. So we'll see if that happens nationally here as well. So David, thanks for joining me today. Absolutely, my pleasure. George Affleck in for Jill Bennett today. And uh, before the break, we had uh, we were at a press conference earlier in the hour and the Premier was speaking about uh, the devastation in Lytton uh, and then followed that with Mike Farmworth, uh, who, was speaking, who spoke about, and as you heard in the news, that there are several people unaccounted for, which is uh, devastating. Uh, and photos coming in now, we're seeing uh, from the Chilwick Fire, I think the one I see online here, shows the Main Street uh, before and after, and uh, it's uh, gone. The the pictures that we're seeing uh, show the downtown core uh, almost. Well, we're hearing ninety to one hundred percent. The fire has taken uh, almost every building in 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 Lytton, and this is tragic for uh, for the community for sure. Erica Berg uh, is information officer with the BC Wildlife Service, and she joins me now. Hello, Erica. Hello. So thanks for joining me. I know it's a busy day. Uh, can you first of all walk about what walk us through what you know about what's going on in Lytton?
3: Sure. So as you are likely aware, this um, Lytton Village fire is um, a a serious incident um, and an ever-evolving incident. Um, BC Wildfire Service is working closely with the Lytton Fire Brigade um, as well as other assisting agencies. Um, and we 're assisting by uh, diverting resources from other fires wherever possible um, to respond to this incident we 've had um, ground crews and aircraft um, responding as well as an incident management team assigned.
0: The, the premier said there were two fires actually there was a, a wildfire just out of the town outside the town, and then there was a different fire in the town. how, do, how, how is that How does that work and how do you fight those differently?
3: Yeah, so the cause of the fire that burned through Lytton is not yet confirmed, um, mm-hmm. but we, we can confirm that it is, uh, was separate from the fire burning outside of the town. Um, so we have fire origin and cause investigators uh, investigating uh, the, the specific cause of mm-hmm. the fire that went through Lytton. Um, but yes, those are those are separate incidents.
0: Do you fight? The, are they fought differently? Uh,
3: yeah so when structures are involved um, it, it it is fought differently. Um, mm-hmm. our crews our are, are typically not um, equipped to to um, fight uh, structural fires okay. there's um, there's um, different risks involved, but we do work closely with structure protection right. Um and and so uh, there is um, collaboration there when it comes to incidents where um, structures are, are threatened.
0: Okay. And I see the photos coming in on Twitter are from the Chilliwack Fire Services. So I'm assuming the Chilliwack Fire Department has made their way up there potentially to deal with uh, on the ground with uh, what's going on on the streets, I would assume, and with you guys. Yeah, Okay. There are a
3: variety of yeah agencies responding. Um, whoever can assist,
0: definitely. Excellent. The premier said uh, that there is an incident management team that they would be on the ground in Lytton. What what is an incident management team?
3: Yeah. So an incident management team is a um, expert uh, selection of um, folks that um, follow an incident command structure, mm-hmm. um, and that's the structure that um, a variety of first responders follow in order to most effectively respond to an incident Um, and so it it works more locally um, with with, um, the region affected. Uh, So it will include um, you know folks like myself, uh, an information officer, there will be logistics officers, safety officers um, and they will work in uh, coordinating more more closely on the ground.
0: Okay so there's some of them are actually on the ground there now or they're planning to get on the ground?
3: Um, the specifics of when they have arrived uh, okay. is, is, is not clear to me at this point, but we're constantly receiving updates. Um, like I said, it's a, it's a evolving incident. Absolutely. Sure. Mm-hmm.
0: The Premier also talked about some of the, the numbers across the province. Take us across the province because it's quite shocking, some of the numbers he, he put out there.
3: Definitely. So, you know, these numbers are you know, ever-increasing. Um, province-wide, there have been upwards of 463 wildfires. Um, resulting in around 26,000 hectares burned. Um, there are over 80 wildfires currently burning uh, across the province. Okay. And today is uh, looking like another uh, busy busy day for us, another challenging day um, with the conditions we've been experiencing over the past several days. Um, in conjunction with some lightning activity, it's mm-hmm. uh, keeping us on our toes.
0: That, that that was one of the numbers he threw out there was for the number of lightning strikes, which was in. I'm trying to find my numbers here. Uh, thousands of lightning strikes over the last 24 hours.
3: Yeah, yeah. Having those lightning events roll in can uh, really uh, determine uh, how busy we are for the season, for sure.
0: Now, the uh, beyond the, the the major percentage of fires that are started in the province are from lightning strikes, but the other percentage is not. And so, what are those other incidences that cause a fire to start?
3: Yeah, so um, at the end of the season, it tends to work out to being 60% of fire starts are due to lightning or other natural causes, and then 40% are due to human-caused um, fires. So, um, you know, anything related to human activity, uh, it can be uh, machinery, it can be um, cars then, then spreading into right. the um, uh, bush, um, escaped open burns. Um, yeah, a variety, a variety of causes, mm-hmm. um, especially during um, conditions like we've been seeing over the past several days, mm-hmm. um, that risk is is heightened.
0: The, he did mention in the premier that about uh, access to the backcountry is restricted. Is that I didn't know that. So there's no uh, access to the backcountry currently across the province.
3: Um, I'm not sure if it is across the province at this time. This okay. this, this may be um, a, a new detail, but I, I do know that. Um, there is an area restriction for the Sparks Lake Fire. Um, okay, that is uh, the 123 kilometers north of Willowette.
0: Okay, one of the things earlier in the year we were thinking, oh, maybe it's not going to be so bad this summer because it was you know fairly wet and you know we were thinking, oh, this is great. But suddenly in the last couple of weeks, where we've had this drought-like kind of and this heat, uh, that things it it's, it it reverses quickly. We see, we we can't really predict how this this these fire
3: seasons can we? <laughs> You know, we can't predict um, too far ahead. Um, You know, early in the season, when we're in that spring season, we um, rely heavily on what June brings. You've Mm -hmm. probably heard us mention June rains. And um, this June was a dry one. You know, Mm -hmm. we reached record-breaking, you know, low precipitation levels in some areas within the Okanagan. Um, And so that, in combination with this unprecedented heat wave, um, have been, you know, uh, a recipe for uh, you know quite a, quite an increase mm-hmm. in starts, and, and that's what we're seeing here.
0: Any other recommendations to people across the province that you want to put out there right now if, uh, uh, during this in this season?
3: Yeah, um, so we just want to thank folks for um, their continued vigilance and in, in reporting those new fires, and, and we ask folks to to continue staying alert. Um, there are a variety of evacuation alerts and orders in mm-hmm. place for several fires across BC. And so um, we recommend folks to um, review our um, BC wildfire dashboard available on our website, as well as considering um, downloading our app um, as you can then view wildfires in your area Mm -hmm. and then check with the local regional districts for evacuation details.
0: And is there a number that they can call if they see a fire somewhere? If they're driving or something?
3: Um, Yeah, Mm -hmm. so um, always uh, star 5555 is the number to call. Um, And then there's also the the toll-free, 1-800-663-5555.
0: All right, Erica, thanks very much for joining today and filling us in on what's going on across B.C. and uh, in Lytton specifically. I appreciate it. Yeah, take care. George Affleck in for Jill Bennett, and we'll continue to follow uh, the fires uh, in uh, Merritt, in, in, um, in Lytton, and across the province uh, as well. We're seeing lightning strikes across the province in the last 24 hours that are, are seeing more and more fires pop up across the province. So CK, stay stick with CKNW uh, to follow those and see what's going on, and we'll keep you up to date on that. Over the last few days, first responders have been stretched to the max with a heat wave. Things are yet to be assessed, but it appears that hundreds may have died who shouldn't have because of the heat. And many who were asking for help from our response first responders waited hours for ambulances to show up with the pandemic the heat wave now fires and at the same time calls to cuts to police budgets it's been a it's not been an easy year john stomaticus sorry i knew i was gonna blow that is president of the canadian police association and vocal critic of how governments of all levels are managing taxpayer dollars when it when it comes to first responders he joins me now hi tom which is the way i prefer to call you tom how's it going Good. How are you? Good. Hey, you know, I uh, you sent out a provocative tweet last night that I that kind of caught my attention related to budgets. Can you tell me a bit about that 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 tweet?
4: Well, uh, uh, the tweet was in response to how incredibly frustrated I was to watch uh, what was happening uh, in the city and across the region and other parts of the province during. Uh, this heat wave that we just uh, got through and the impact it was having on the public, because of the advocacy I've been involved in over many years mm-hmm. identifying uh, issues with respect to staffing levels not just with in in policing mm-hmm. but you know across all of our public safety services, the capacity to respond and those calls have been largely ignored and in fact often the response has been to make, arbitrary or uninformed uh, decisions with respect to budgets and funding and training, all of which have an implication. And what we saw is a situation where our infrastructure was completely unaffected, yet we were unable to provide assistance to people that needed it uh, for an event that we knew about, we knew was coming, it had been forecast and we failed and and we, we failed at every level. And, and it's so frustrating because as a representative on the policing side, I know what impact this has on our members who are mm-hmm. going now to these houses, standing by, not able to help people in medical distress, or standing by because people are deceased, not being able to do anything to alleviate the effect that's having on on, on the surviving family members, for instance, in a home, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it's just frustrating because I've seen you know, the response from different elected officials has been in my opinion, wholly inadequate, uh, minimizing uh, the lack of response across all of our services that are supposed to be there to help people when they need help, and it's just frustrating. And, and what I hear is now what we're going to review and we're going to do this. This yeah. has been known for years, months, years.
0: Earlier in the week we were talking to park board commissioner John Cooper and we were talking about lifeguards and there's this and then there were some call-ins from lifeguards who were saying they and one of his arguments and this is an argument I seem to hear a lot is that we can't find staff to do the jobs and and the lifeguards some life I think there were former lifeguards they called and left messages saying that's not true and it's a, they're, they're, they're not hiring us they're not hiring there's there are people who want to be lifeguards and it's sort of the same thing your tweet was alluding to that uh, that you know there's been this sort of uh, non-desire to hire people or inability to make decisions or to spend the money since, in, I think in your tweet you said since 2009, we've seen a decline as a ratio to the population. And I think lifeguards are facing the same things you're saying. The police are fe- facing the same things. You've got the double whammy of the defund police movement right now. Um, is that the issue? Is it? Is it? Is it? Are we to believe that it's because nobody wants these jobs or is there something else going on?
4: I think there's something else going on. There's two issues. I think one is, you know, you need to get to the bottom of why people aren't in these jobs. And I I, I agree with the comments that you uh, you, you mentioned with respect to lifeguards. Is it a case of people not wanting those jobs? Or what's what's the city doing to recruit these people? What is it if they don't want the jobs? Why is it that they don't want the jobs? And how are you addressing that? So that's that's one issue, and that's mm-hmm. a longer-term issue. But in the short term, if you are short-staffed, in EHS for example uh, our par- paramedics if you if you don't have enough staff in in ecom if you don't have enough lifeguards and you know that there's going to be uh, an event in your city or in your province what are you doing to find alternatives what where are we look are we looking at partners in the community other not for profits for example if we've got a shortage in paramedics there are other agencies out there that have trained people that can provide that service in the interim or as a stopgap to make sure that we can help people. I didn't see any of that. I didn't see what, what, what were they do? Who did they contact to try and bolster mm-hmm. the paramedic service so that they could respond? Uh, did they contact, for example, St. John's Ambulance? Did they contact the military to see they've got trained personnel that could have stepped up in the short term, in the interim, until you can solve these longer-term problems? So what we needed was leadership, a collaborative approach, looking at what the options were out there to try and provide support. What we got instead is, you know, in, in, and I live in Vancouver, so it, this <laughs> is particularly an issue for me, but what we get instead is a mayor who's making divisive comments, Yeah, uh, uh, you know, running his campaign for re-election, <laughs> yeah. as opposed to demonstrating leadership and getting all of these services together to collaborate. And where there are gaps, let's be advocating for Better support from the provincial government, and if the provincial government's not stepping up, then we need to advocate and look for support from the federal government where it's appropriate for those higher levels of government to step in. The
0: the the mayor of Vancouver, Kennedy Stewart, said, "Oh, we're going to do a study and figure out what what went wrong here and why why we're going to what what really went wrong in this last couple this last week with the heat crisis." The, the
4: police department's been studied to death. They've done <laughs> two uh, independent operational reviews with respect to their staffing issues. The, the the, the demand the increase in demand the 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 uh, the increase in call volume, the growth in the city so it's a staffing the complexity issue. of policing that's been that's been well documented the mm-hmm. fire service has done the same thing ehs those those issues we've been talking about those issues for months ecom has been talking about their challenges with respect to nine eleven operators and the impact of their, the challenges they're dealing with been talking about it for months for years so what's another review going to accomplish
0: you also have as you alluded to the our our fire our 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 mayor uh, and the police chief seem to be going at loggerheads here uh, and they're both digging in their heels related to the issue of racism within the police force and the budget cuts that uh, this council wants to do. You simultaneously want to solve problems, uh, deal with crime or deal with uh, what happened this week with the, with the heat, uh, but yet you, you want to defund and, and stop the relationship. That seems to be what's happening. I don't, I don't get <laughs> how you can do two things at the same time that are exact opposite to each other.
4: He can't. We've been dealing with a pandemic for well over a year. That's created all kinds of challenges. We're managing issues in the community that we've never had to manage before. On top of that, then you get this second um, crisis coming on top of the pandemic. This is not the time to be having you know these kinds of divisive um, virtue signaling um, arguments um, ar- around um, you know difficult and complex issues. This is the time to demonstrate some leadership. To acknowledge the things that we need to do better, to, to find ways to do those things better, and to collaborate with the different stakeholders, including our vulnerable and marginalized people who are affected, to see how we can do things better and move forward. Um, you know, what what we're seeing here isn't helping. I, it, it, you know, it's at the end of the day, this is about public service. It's not about... I don't know individual egos and and um, you know trying to make sure you 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 you're bolstering your your chances for being reelected. I think it's about how do we deliver the best, most efficient service to the public so that we can meet their expectations. And yeah, you have to make hard decisions. There are competing interests, and and there can't be uh, you know you have to be careful about how you spend those tax dollars. But but that work can be done, and you can make those thoughtful decisions. And you have to make decisions about what your service levels are going to be and where you're not going to provide service, but be upfront about it. Be Mm -hmm. transparent. Mm -hmm. All
0: right, Tom, I appreciate your time today on this, uh, this July 1st Canada Day.
4: You're welcome.